What's up, everyone? El Nino Speaks is back in action with your wonderful host, Jose Nino. Today, I'm joined by one of the few political candidates who is actually worth voting for in the 2022 midterm election cycle. Nathan Dom was first elected to the Oklahoma State Senate in 2012, and now he is eyeing an even higher office in Oklahoma's open U.S. Senate seat. Before um, we start talking about your campaign, Nathan, what motivated you to get into politics in the first place? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Always enjoy doing these things and being able to talk about liberty and advocating for that. My intro to politics was different than most people. I actually grew up overseas. My parents were missionaries in Eastern Europe in Romania. So I have experienced socialism firsthand, you know, the results of communism. And Romania had massive inflation when I was living over there. So a lot of the things that we're seeing now that's hitting close to home, I lived through. And so when I moved back in 2007, I saw a lot of the candidates running for office. And then 2008, the TARP bailout hit. And all those things combined together were things that I had, like I said, lived through in a different way overseas. And so that was kind of my catalyst for getting involved, helping other campaigns and trying to do what I can to, to turn the tide away from, well where we're at right now. What political figures or philosophers would you say played a major role in your overall like development of your political outlook? I always liked reading about the founding fathers. I mean, I studied the Declaration and the Constitution quite a bit. A lot of what Thomas Jefferson did, his focus on liberty, individual rights, those things that he was very instrumental in doing, especially from an early age. A lot of people don't realize how young Thomas Jefferson was when he was involved in doing all those things. Or they don't really even understand how young a lot of the founding fathers were. So I always drew from them. I encourage everyone to read The Law by Frederick Bastiat. I think that's a foundational piece of information for those that want to understand liberty. Yeah, it's great. We have high school pages that serve at the state senate during our sessions here. And every one of them that serves for me, I give them a copy of The Law by Bastiat. So followed a lot of them. When I first got involved in politics, I mean... Loved a lot of what President Reagan did. You know, he was kind of the Republican that a lot of candidates looked to. But one of the things that really got me involved was just hearing Ron Paul talk about the Constitution and especially monetary policy, the unconstitutionality of the dollar, of the Federal Reserve System, of printing money. Again, I'd seen those things firsthand with the inflation I experienced over in Romania. So um, he's one that I appreciated how much he talked about the Constitution when it was before its time, or rather before the, the time of people actually revisiting the Constitution. So those were several of the people that, that I looked to and followed. I mean, there's some people here at the state level in Oklahoma that not everybody else would be aware of or know of, but several good candidates just at the local level that I helped in their campaigns as well. Yeah, I've watched your work in the Oklahoma State Senate for some time, and I could definitely say that you made the most out of your time in the Oklahoma Senate, whether it was like pushing for like the expansion of gun rights or promoting measures that fought against like sanctuary cities, you always had a full plate. Which would you say were your greatest legislative accomplishments during your time in office? A lot of Second Amendment stuff, for sure. I forced Senate leadership to take a vote on constitutional carry, even though the majority of the Republicans did not want to vote for it. Oklahoma is a Republican supermajority state. We have 39 out of 48 Senate seats, 80-something, I think 81 out of 101 House seats. So we can do anything we want to. 
They're just not constitutionalists. They're not conservatives. And so it was an uphill battle to even get a vote on constitutional carry. But I forced the vote. We got it passed. And then our Republican governor stabbed us in the back and vetoed the bill. And then Senate leadership stabbed me in the back and refused to do a veto override on it. Next year, we came back in and all of a sudden, Senate leadership decided that, hey, this is a great idea. So we ended up getting it passed through again. And our new governor signed the bill. It was his first bill to sign into law. So, you know, I caught a lot of backlash from all of them for forcing a vote on it. And now they all towed it as, you know, or claimed that they were the ones that led the charge on it. But I was pleased to do that. And then I followed that up with passing the nation's first ever anti-red flag law. While a dozen other states have passed these unconstitutional red flag laws, I took Oklahoma the other direction and made sure that no city, county, judge, university, no entity of government in Oklahoma can pass or implement any sort of red flag law. First in the nation to do that. Other states have taken that and using that as model legislation as a concept that I came up with that I was able to shepherd all the way through. And we got that passed actually in 2020 during you know the beginnings of COVID when we only had, I think, 50 or 100 bills actually get all the way through the process because everything got shut down. That was one of the bills that we actually did get signed by the governor. So even amongst that, it was a huge victory for individual liberties. I've done other things, eliminated some state agencies, repealed a lot of stuff, but my focus is on protecting individual rights first and foremost. Yeah, that's great stuff. Your work with constitutional carry has definitely, I would argue, played a significant role in sparking what I believe is like the most successful right-wing movement of the past three decades. We may see like literally half the nation have constitutional carry on the books by like 2025 if not like every red state. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for your work. But yeah, let's shift gears to like the federal stuff because we just have like so many national, international problems, like from the rising inflation to the geopolitical instability abroad. U.S. is in a very tricky situation at the moment. So we're going to need real leaders because the current crop isn't cutting it. What ultimately made you decide to run for federal office at this juncture? Well, one of the main things is that I don't believe that Washington, D.C. is the solution. I believe they're the biggest problem. Being in the state legislature, so much of what we deal with is because the feds pass something, most of it unconstitutional, but they pass it and force it on the states. And many of the state legislators just go along because there's money tied to it. In fact, we've actually had some of the Republicans admit that publicly in recent committee hearings and saying, hey, if we do this, we could lose federal funding. I remind them every time that there's no such thing as federal funding. It's all taxpayer money. It's all taxpayer dollars. It's not federal funding, but they use that terminology because it's a way that they can essentially buy votes. They think, you know, well, if we fund this program, then we'll get reelected and it's a way for them to stay in that position of power. So I've been trying to push back on the feds from within the state. Um, I have successfully done some of that to a degree, but I think it's so much more necessary that we need people within Washington, D.C. that are willing to stand up against Washington, D.C. So it doesn't even get to the state level, because if we can stop it on the front end, stop it from getting forced on the states, then those state legislatures don't have that as an excuse to stand behind and say, oh, well, the feds are making us do it, so we have to do it. No, if we take that power away from them and turn that back to the people, we can turn the tide on a lot of these things. So that's one of my main reasons is that I just believe that D.C. is far out of alignment with the Constitution, and I'm going to to do everything I can from within to force them back within the constitutional constraints they're supposed to operate in. 
Yeah, you definitely do not hear much about that in many like Republican circles these days. Of it's basically they try to be Democrat light when it comes to the nature of like government growth and other pushing for other unconstitutional programs. What would you say are like the main pillars of your campaign in terms of like the political issues that you're running on? I mean, there's there's so many things that could be addressed. But my number one thing that I've been talking about for a long time is the out-of-control spending. I know it's not very popular. More people are focusing their attention on it because of all of the inflation that is hitting. Now they're starting to see the results of these things. It's not just economic impact. This is government-created. This was not done because of the Russians or Putin or any other reason other than government (laughs) spending. That is the main reason that we are facing inflation. And so... The reason that you're having to spend more at the gas station, at the grocery store, everywhere is because of government policies. And so we have to rein in the out-of-control spending. And you know, I think it was Phyllis Schafley that said that Democrats are driving us off the fiscal cliff at 75 miles an hour. Republicans are doing it at 55 miles an hour. So you know, it's <laughs> we have to have people that are willing to stand up against the out-of-control spending. And we haven't had that so far, even from the Republicans. And so that's my main issue is we have to get the spending in under control. Most of it is unconstitutional. It's absolutely unsustainable. And the fact that all children born in this country are now $90,000 in debt, going to be soon $100,000 in debt, that's just immoral. It's wrong that we are putting future generations so much into debt. So the debt is one of my top issues, the out-of-control spending, immigration reform, the open borders. That's something else that I feel strongly about that... And something that is constitutional. I mean, that is one of the powers that the states gave to the federal government was immigration policy. And so that is something that needs to be handled at the federal level. And then my other third issue that I'm concerned about is just election integrity. And I mean, a lot of people can get into the weeds on this stuff and everything, but we're not following the Constitution. We didn't follow the Constitution because in in previous elections and stuff, but I am a supporter of voter ID. I think we should have voter IDs so that we know that people that are voting are actually legal, able to vote, because that is a, a right that you have as a citizen, not as a non-citizen. You shouldn't be able to, you know, to be voting as somebody that entered this country illegally, that violated our laws and swaying the outcomes of elections. So I feel like all three of those things kind of tie in together, but those are like some of my three main issues that I'm concerned with. You said that you were largely inspired by Ron Paul. Do you share more or less his vision for foreign policy, which is actually pretty controversial in most mainstream Republican circles? But would you say that you're more like a like a restrained, like non-interventionist on foreign policy? Yes. I mean, I but I don't just say that it was his idea. I mean, this was George Washington's idea. This was the founding fathers' idea. They believed in free commerce with other nations. I mean, George Washington warned about entangling alliances. He warned about all these other types of things that we're now seeing, you know, that he was almost prophetic in some of those warnings that he gave. So a lot of people will say that non-interventionist means isolationist. No, it means non-interventionist. Like we're not going to intervene. You know, if individuals want to do stuff, if businesses want to do stuff, they can do it. But when the federal government puts the people of the United States on the hook, puts our name next to something that's different than individuals if they want to do it. So yeah, I very much follow a Washingtonian non-interventionist foreign policy. And that doesn't mean that we can't be in any alliances or anything, but he warned about entangling alliances. So you have to be very cautious in who you are allied with. And so that's what I think is do more commerce with 
other countries and other nations, help them to actually develop their countries through those means, but otherwise stay out of their affairs as much as possible and keep them out of our affairs. Yeah, I share those beliefs too. I tend to take more of like the Monroe doctrine, like old like sphere of influence style of politics, but that kind of stuff is almost seen as fringe these days. But it's good that people are actually starting to go back to like the US as like realist, like restrained roots of foreign policy, because I think that's one of like the biggest deviations that the GOP has embraced. Because historically the GOP has been the more restrained policy when it comes to war making and other military actions abroad. So mm-hmm. yeah, once you get in office, there's obviously like the challenge of like building like a coalition because like no man is an island and you're gonna have to like work with people to implement meaningful reforms. Who would you say are your favorite political figures at the federal level and who do you plan to work with in the Senate if you're elected to the Senate? Well, we received Senator Rand Paul's endorsement a couple of weeks ago. So I'm very honored to have that. I mean, he has been the gold standard for liberty in the in the United States Senate. So he's obviously one of the main ones that I will be working with. On the House side, I know Congressman Thomas Massey. I've met him several times and talked with him. I know he's big on the Second Amendment as well. And he's one of the co-chairs of the Second Amendment Caucus, along with Congresswoman Lauren Boebert out of Colorado, who I also know pretty well. So those are the couple of people that I would work on on those things. You're right. It, it can be very easy to become an island in the legislature in the United States Senate. I've seen that same thing. You know, they said the same thing when I first got elected to the state Senate that, you know, that I would be an island all by myself. And at times there was because I was the only one to vote no <laughs> majority yeah. of the time. So in some ways you can be an island, but if you don't play the game the way that everybody else does, if you actually stand true to your principles and things, there's sometimes that you'll be able to agree with somebody and work with them on a policy. And then you might be against them at the very next bill that they're proposing. So you work with people when you can, when the Constitution and the policies align, but otherwise you work against it if it's a violation of the Constitution. And I know a lot of it is very personality driven. I've seen that even at the state level, but I'm not concerned about that because one thing that everybody at the state capital knows is that I know my stuff, I do my research, they have a healthy respect for me, even if they disagree with me on my position, they know that I know my position and I can defend my position and a lot of times they won't necessarily admit it, but they know that their position is hypocritical or or whatever else. So they don't even necessarily challenge me on it. So I do have that healthy respect or maybe somewhat fear from the other senators. So you are able to still get things done by doing that and by knowing the procedure and the process. I know the Senate rules better than anybody else here. So I've been able to get things accomplished when nobody else would. And I know former U.S. Senator from Oklahoma, Tom Coburn, he knew the rules really well and he was able to get a lot accomplished and and stop a lot because of that. So if you know the rules, if you know the process, if you stay consistent, yeah, you won't be able to get as much necessarily done as other people who compromise, but you'll be able to get things done in the right way. And more importantly, you can stop things. So a lot of people are concerned about getting things done. I'm more concerned about stopping the unconstitutional things Mm -hmm. than I am just about getting other things done. Yeah, some of the good news is, as you mentioned, we now have like a Second Amendment caucus in the House, which was almost like unheard of in previous decades. And like actual like more people that can work on certain single issues like Lauren Boebert and others. So you won't be like on an island as much as before. And there's been like some improvements in that respect. Now, 
there is like a gap between um, the Republican Party leadership and the grassroots. And you can see it when it comes to like big spending issues like mass migration and just the overall growth of the state. In what areas do you think that the GOP needs to improve on? And how do you think your presence in the Senate could make these changes become a reality? Growth in government, growth in spending. I mean, we're supposed to be the party of, of limited government. And it's been obvious that, you know, <laughs> the Republicans have been very guilty of growing government, spending it more state and federal level. I've seen it time and time again. So that's one of the areas that I've been able to hold people accountable. I've been able to stop things. I've been able to turn the tide on some of that. So that's one main area, but just focus on individual liberties. You know, too often they'll say that they'll call them social issues and some are social issues, societal issues, but I'm sorry, but the second amendment is not a social issue. Okay. The second amendment is a constitutional issue. It's a, it's a God-given right that we have to keep in our arms to defend ourselves. It's not just a social issue. It must be defended. You know, Fourth Amendment, I mean, that's one area that actually the left has sometimes been better than than the Republicans have about protecting people's individual rights to privacy and some of those things. Now, the left has become, as they become more authoritarian, they have lost any right that they have to, you know, to say that they've been defending that. But that's one area that all parties, it seems, have, have lost a focus on protecting individual rights. So, I mean, if you just go through the Constitution, so much of what we're supposed to be doing hasn't been our focus. So, I'm going to make sure to to be refocusing and reminding people, just as I've already been doing, that our job as government is what the Declaration says, to secure these rights, governments are instituted. So when we talk about the institution of government, the purpose is to protect our rights. So those are, I mean, there's so many things that we could say that leadership in the party has lost their way. But if you talk to the grassroots, that's what the people are concerned about, is their individual liberties, the out-of-control spending. And so that's what I'm going to focus on. So the point you made about the Democrats on the Fourth Amendment is interesting because these days politics is like incredibly polarized and very tribal. So you don't really see a lot of productive work on bipartisan issues that actually like benefit the American people and enhance their freedoms. If anything, I've always argued that that anytime you see a bipartisan measure, you can be like 90% sure it's actually like pretty bad. But yeah. Do you envision yourself being able to work with Democrats when you get in the U.S. Senate? And what kind of issues would you work with them on? I mean, I'm willing to work with anyone if their focus is on the Constitution. And so, you know, I know that there are those that have, you know, been able to, you know, they always say reach across the aisle or those things. I'm not willing to compromise. I'm not going to compromise the Constitution with anyone, Democrat or Republican. So, if that's what their focus is, then no, I won't be able to work with them. But if they want to work on protecting, you know, Fourth Amendment rights, make sure that the government is not continuing to spy on American citizens as the government has continued to do and lied about it consistently. You know, if there are those that want to work to try to restore and get us back on the gold standard to where we actually have a sound money currency system, I would be willing to work with anybody on that. Freedom of religion, if people want to work together on that. I'm more than willing to work with anybody on that because their faith should be protected as all other faiths. It's not just, well, I'm going to work to protect my faith. No, we have freedom of religion so that the government does not interfere with anyone's faith. And so, you know, I'm more than willing to work with anyone from any political party or any ideology to be able to protect those rights. 
Awesome. Yeah, you won't hear that from your typical candidate these days. And that's one of the main reasons why I think that you would absolutely be a great person to take up the open seat in Oklahoma's um, U.S. Senate seat. Now, before we leave, Nathan, why do you believe that you're the best candidate to fill in this seat in Oklahoma? I'm the only one that has a proven record. I mean, every single one of us can point to a candidate that we liked, that we might have supported financially or maybe helped out on their campaign, you know, because they said all the right things. And then once they got elected, the candidate did not follow through on their on their campaign stump speech. And so if you look at ever since I first campaigned, if you look at my positions and everything, I've stayed consistent with them. I'm the only candidate that has voted against every new tax increase, but also voted to lower taxes. I'm the only candidate that has not just said I'm pro-Second Amendment, I've expanded Second Amendment rights. I've worked on trying to restore sound money. In Oklahoma, we have a balanced budget requirement. So we do balance our budget every year, but sometimes the way they balance the budget was still by growing government because we had more money available. They didn't put it into savings. The Republican leadership, instead of putting it into savings and, and decreasing government, they spent it all. So even though it was a balanced budget, I've voted no because it wasn't spending the money appropriately. It was still growing government. So I've proven that I will be willing to stand up to leadership and stand on my principles. No one else in this race can make that claim. And truthfully, there's nobody else that could get in this race that can make that claim because I have that record that nobody else has. So if people want a true constitutionalist that will fight for their individual rights and everything, I would welcome their support. They can visit our website, domforsenate.com. That's D-A-H-M, domforsenate.com. And I'd be honored to have their support no matter where they're at in the country. If they're in Oklahoma, I want their vote. But if they're anywhere else in the country, we'd be honored to have their support because one U.S. senator can make a difference for the whole country. Thank you, Nathan, for coming on. Best of luck in your campaign. And I really hope that you're able to pull this one off because we need as many pro-liberty and pro-constitutional candidates out here because D.C. is basically just a sea of statism for the most part. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately so, but I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate you helping spread the word and, and thank you for having me on. And to all of my listeners, thank you for your attention. And with that, El Nino has spoken.